and yeah, welcome too. It's great to have you here. It will come as no surprise to you to learn what it is that we are all about as a church. It started a hundred years ago for this church. It started two thousand years ago for the church, capital C. The church is followers of Jesus Christ who have put their trust and faith in Him. The church is is made up of people who have recognised that that they're living a life which is separate from God and that God loves them so much that he pursues a relationship with them and so they come to a place where they understand that and they they get to a moment where they say, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, an incredible thing happens. There is, a, there is new life, there is new birth. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within and we have this wonderful life now and this hope for eternity. A wonderful life does not mean that it's not without trials and hardship. A wonderful life means that there is an inner core, there is a foundation which is solid and it is secure. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been left with one purpose. There are a whole lot of things that we can do and we must do and we do do, but there is one purpose, and that is to help other people become followers of Jesus Christ. That's the call of the gospel. And if you're here and, and you've been invited along or you've ended up in a church, chances are high. You are not only here because maybe your own interest, you're here because someone else loves you and someone else wants to share with you the greatest news that there could ever possibly be this side of eternity, that Jesus Christ loves you and that he has a plan for your life, not only for this life but for the life to come. You know, we can read the Bible and, and find a whole lot of other things that we are to do, and they're good and they're right and they're proper. But they all fall under this one command. The end of every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if we looked at them briefly, you'd see that the command is the same in all of them. Matthew 28 tells us, go make disciples of all nations, and tells us how to do that. In Mark chapter 16, it's the same thing. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In Luke, it tells us this. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be promised in his name to all nations. You are witnesses of these things. In other words, you are to be storytellers of the work of God in and through your life. And in John, John puts it this way. This disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down, we know this testimony, this story is true. This is this unchanging practice from the very beginning of the church till the end of the church, whenever that might be. We are to be tellers of the story of Jesus Christ in our life. We've started this three-week series, One Small Step. And as a church, we've recognized that we need to be constantly reminded and equipped and enabled to do whatever it takes to help people discover who Jesus is and to put their faith and trust in him so they might have a relationship with them. And we've started this idea of saying, well, what, what's the next step that you need to take to help you grow as someone who is more passionate about outreach, someone who is more equipped to reach those people in your world? And today is the second one of those series. But as, as Sarah did last week, um, when she chatted to a couple of people, we want just to tell a story. I want to share a story with you of someone who has taken a small step and God is using that to reach people in her world. So I want you to welcome Dasha Elliott up onto the stage. 
Hi, everyone. Thanks for the privilege to share my one small step. So um, about three years ago, we moved into a new house and really knew it was provision of the Lord, just in terms of the timing and and the, the layout, just everything was so perfect. And um, as we were there, I really began to get this conviction about loving your neighbours and how God actually meant literally love your neighbours. And so how did I do that and, and how might I start that? And I just couldn't think of anything that sort of worked around timing of Christmas, that kind of thing. And I was at Leadership Sunday one week, which as I said to Nick at 9am, that means that you should definitely be connected. Um, so I was there at Leadership Sunday, sitting next to a lady I've, I've never met, and she said, oh, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, we're having a Thanksgiving dinner with our life group. And I just felt the Holy Spirit convict me that that was exactly what I should offer to do for my neighbours. So my children ran around with little invitations, dropped them off, and we had our first event in the street. Since then, we've had a barbecue, a board games night, a movie night, we've had an overnight tramp, and um, you know, we just keep thinking of ways to get connected. What has been so amazing about that is how God has led me into these incredible relationships with a diverse group of people and um, allowed me the privilege of sharing my life and um, who Jesus is. Uh, the great thing is most of those things are around food. So um, you get the opportunity to thank God for the food that he has provided and, and at the same time also pray a blessing on the people who are there. Um, one of the ways that my heart was really stirred too is a song that we sing called Living Rain and in it we say, over my street spirit reside. And I began to pray over my street by name spirit reside, spirit reside in this street. And um, it's just been a remarkable journey. I could stand all day and talk about the ways that I can see God at work. Um, But I just want to say, it's just one small step. Just ask God what you can do in your neighborhood and in the place where he's placed you. And with a willing heart, whatever your capacity, he will go ahead of you. Thanks, Dash. 1969 was a momentous year for world history. And uh, again, if you learnt, if you're here last week, you learned it was the year that my wife was born. Uh, so that makes it mindly, you know, mind-changing for me. Um, it was also the year my younger brother was born as well. So it really was a, a big year in my life. But more than that, it was the year that Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. And here is the the picture of him doing that. And here was that wonderful saying, that famous now saying, yeah, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. The thing about it is this. That particular step took years of planning and preparation and devotion and research and energy and investment and, and all of the things that were there. He didn't wake up the morning before and say, tomorrow I'm going to set foot on the moon. It took vision. The, the President of the United States and uh, in, in the years before said, we are going to set man on the moon by the end of this decade. And they aligned everything around that vision so that that small step could be taken. It strikes me that it is very similar with us 
in our passion and desire to reach people for Christ. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up one morning and say, I'm now going to be a knock it out of the park evangelist and it's all just going to fall into place. I don't, don't wake up one day and have you know, lines of people down my driveway knocking on the door saying, here I am, lead me to Jesus. Do you? It seems to me that it takes vision and it takes preparation and it takes alignment of my heart and my time and everything I am so that eventually people might take one small step to come to Christ. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the step of how do we align ourselves around this and how do we equip ourselves so that we can take these one small steps. I want to take you through the story that's found in John chapter 4. And it's an encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. I'm just going to do this to, to look at how he did this and then I'm going to draw out of that some lessons that we can observe and then we're going to pray and we're going to go. And that's where we get to in the service. And so you'll all walk out of here at about half past 12, uh, ready to be dangerous for Jesus. That, that okay? You happy with that? Excellent. Okay. John chapter 4. So the story goes like this. Jesus was needing to go from Jerusalem or Judea, and he went to Galilee. Verse 4 says he had to travel through Samaria, which is an interesting statement because um, Samaria, if you, if you had the map of Israel, you'd had Judea down here, then you've got Samaria, then you've got Galilee up above it. The direct line was through Samaria. But they didn't like, Jews didn't like going through Samaria because the Samaritans were these sort of half breed people. They, you know, and, and, you know, hundreds of years earlier, the, that's got their culture got mixed up and they were just, they were seen as outcasts. And uh, the Samaritans were right down the bottom of the social scale as far as the Jews were concerned. And in fact, they didn't like them so much that if they could, they'd take the long way around. They never went straight through the middle. They would never go in the direct route. So when it says Jesus had to, John's making a point, he was compelled to. He wanted to be in a place where he could meet people. He wanted to be in a place where he could be used by the Lord. And he go, as he goes there, it says, He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Well, that's all very great details. Why is it so detailed? Why do we know it's noon? Why do we know he was tired? Why do we know it was, it was hot? And why did she come to draw water? This woman is an interesting woman. She's got a past. She's got a history. Life has not gone well for her. She's had, as we'll discover, she's had five broken marriages, five divorces. And she's now living with this guy and is not married to him. So everything about her in that day and that age was shameful. And she would go to the well at lunchtime, which was not the right time to go to the well because the sun was hot and everybody went to the well at the beginning of the day because you needed water for the day. So it doesn't make sense to go at lunchtime because how would you get the water for the first part of the day? So she's coming to the well at the wrong time of the day. Reason being, she's over it. She's over the snide comments. She's over the whispers behind her back. She's over the, there, there she is again, you yeah the failed marriage woman she's over all that sort of stuff and for her the best thing to do is to hide and the way for her to hide in broad daylight is to go where nobody else goes and there she is at the well the problem is there's this guy there 
And she says to him, well, he, he says to her, he says, give me a drink. And she says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And therein, she says, I, I'm just going to keep my distance here. I'm going to push you away. We're, we're separate. We're not close. But he avoids that. He avoids the debate around there. He could in that moment have said, well, let me give you a historical lesson as to why we don't associate with one another. And let me try and give you a politically correct version as to why we should, in fact, engage with each other because you know, we're in a new day and a new age and all that sort of stuff. He, he could have done all that sort of stuff. He doesn't. He says this, if you knew the gift of God and who's saying to you, give me a drink, you'd ask him and he would give you living water. Well, she's all on about the the well, and she's still thinking, I've just got to get water back to my house. And so she says to him, well, you know what? Um, This well is deep. You don't even have a bucket, so how are you going to give me water? And uh, then Jesus said, everyone who drinks in this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks in the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. There's two parallel conversations going on here. Jesus is talking not about H2O. He's talking about new life. He's talking about new birth. He's talking about a relationship with God. She, on the other hand, at this point in time, is still thinking water. And in fact, she is quite attracted to this proposition because it sounds to her like he is offering her a way to get water where she doesn't need to come back to the well. And that would be incredibly appealing because that means she can actually reinforce her push away of society. But what's attractive in that is every time she goes there, she runs the risk of again being talked about. If she could have a direct supply of water to her home, great, she'd be happy. And then Jesus says, go and call your husband and come back here. That's a cruel question. I don't have a husband, she says. I wonder how she said that. I wonder if she said it in a short, cutting way which put the barrier back up. Well, that, that's, that's the question that's too close. That's the one that, that starts to get to that, that spot in my life that no one is going to go to because I've been hurt there too many times before. That's the spot that is a no-go zone and don't you dare go there. So I'm going to say this to you in such a way that you back off. He didn't. Jesus says, you've correctly said you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you've said is true. you imagine being in that situation? you imagine if you were the woman, this guy you've never seen before, never met him, don't know who he is, all he's done is ask you for a drink and he waffles on about some living water that'll go for eternal life and you're just hopeful it might be he's got a, you know, a plumbing degree and he can stick a pipe into your house and, and all of a sudden he asks you to go and get your husband, you tell him to back off and then he tells you exactly what's happened in your life. And then she says what some people often say is a diversionary 
statement. I see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And they say, oh man, she's trying to divert him again. I actually don't think so. What she's asking there is actually the heart cry of every person. We're created to worship something. And we Samaritans, when we worship here, and you Jews, you worship there, tell me, where am I to worship? And Jesus reveals himself to her. You realize everybody worships something. We're created for it. We're created to, to give allegiance to something. It's the way God's designed us. It's the way he's made us. And he's given us the dignity of choosing what we worship and where we worship and how we worship. So that when we worship the one who created us, it's meaningful and spirit and in truth, and it's not just some robotic kind of cult. And she meets him there. And she meets him there. So what do we learn from that in terms of our own outreach? I haven't finished the story. We'll come back to it in a minute. But you know, there's, there's three things which, as I look at this, let me just give these to you briefly. Three things that we can learn. The first one is this. Just like Jesus, we need to be intentional about where we go. And Jesus crossed the border from Judea into Samaria. There was a, it was a border of, of geography. But you know, there are so many borders we have in our life. There are borders of place and of time and of emotion of culture. The border of places, sometimes we need to go where we haven't been to help people come to know Jesus. Sometimes we need to cross the border of time. It's that idea of, of my time is not my own. I need to use this to share with others. i got to tell you that I struggle with this one. I struggle with the whole time thing. I'll give you an example. A couple of Fridays, no, Saturday afternoons ago, I was out you know, manicuring my lawn. And as I was manicuring my lawn, our neighbor kind of wandered across the road and he called out to me and, oh, this is great. I can have a conversation with my neighbor. That was my, you know, theologically pastor version. He was my Nick Field version at that moment. Oh, go away. I want to finish manicuring my lawn. I didn't. I threw my tweezers. I mean, my lawn mower down. And um, we had a great conversation. It cost me time cost me a couple of, you know, extra lawnmower rows. But the point is this. What do we think is ours by right? But actually, remember why we're here. We're here to help people become disciples, followers of Jesus. Sometimes we need to cross over and give our time. How about emotions? You know, spiritual conversations may be emotionally unfamiliar for us. I wonder if you've ever had a spiritual conversation with a work colleague or a, or, or a friend or a neighbor. You know, it could start as simply as, you know, what are your spiritual beliefs? It could be as simple as, as just talking about the fact that you, you go to church. I wonder if you've had that conversation. Maybe for you, the where we go is about crossing the border of that emotional vulnerability to do what it takes to step out. I wonder for us as a church and as individuals, uh, how do we engage with the culture of our land and the multi-ethnic culture of our land? You know, where do we go? We need to take one small step. And, you know, sometimes this step kind of thing, I don't know about you, but here's what I find. I'm sometimes like right up, I won't get up here, I'll probably fall off. But, uh, you know, the idea of in here is the spaceship, right? Neil Armstrong's here. I think I'm touching the moon if you're sitting in the right spot. But it's, Sometimes in terms of my outreach, I'm really happy sitting on top of the ladder. 
And there are other times, you know, when I, I find I'm out here and I'm loving, I'm engaging, I'm having conversations. And I, I find I vacillate hugely in terms of my passion to tell others about Jesus and my passion not to tell others about Jesus. And so I need to be constantly coming back to it. And I find this a very confronting question. Where do I go? Second question, who we are. Now, for Jesus, for this Samaritan woman, it was really obvious. He looked at, she looked at him and said, you are a Jew. And that created a whole lot of assumptions, right? When she said that, she wasn't just saying, this is very interesting fact, you're a Jew. What she was saying is, you're a Jew, you're against me, you're opposed to me, and what's to make it worse, you're a male Jew, so you think I am nothing. You think I am worse than a dog. That will be her genuine assumption about who he was. Who are you? I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. That in our society is an interesting um, statement. I wonder if you've ever said that statement to someone, and I wonder what assumptions they therefore have. I wonder what questions they would have about you. I wonder if you find that actually it is better to not disclose that I am a follower of Jesus because that just makes it slightly more comfortable. And I wonder if it's time we actually called it how it is. I wonder if when we say that we are a follower of Jesus that we therefore have the opportunity to break down assumptions in people's minds regarding Christianity. I wonder if there are people who who if you say I'm a Christian, they'd say, well, you're a Christian, therefore as a Christian you will or you won't. And there will be a whole lot of assumptions around what you think about certain things and how you behave and how you act and, and how you treat people. And some of it is blatantly false. Some of it is unfortunately true. What should it be? If people in your world know you are a follower of Jesus, how does that um, clip your wings? in terms of what you do. I wonder if that means that the way that you respond when it gets stressful at work, I wonder if that means maybe your reactions need to be tempered a little. I wonder if, if your neighbours knew you were a follower of Jesus, whether that would change your reaction when someone parked halfway across your driveway. <laughs> it's happened. I wonder if you are a Christian and people know it, what do you do with the questions that society wants you to answer? Our society has got a whole lot of questions they want us to answer as, as followers of Jesus, and rightly so. But I wonder if they're allowing the right questions to be asked. And I wonder if we know what the right questions are that need to be asked. And I wonder if, for some of us in this room, if one of the reasons we're not so forthcoming about our faith, about our belief, is because we are dead scared of that question and we don't know how to answer it. And so the better thing for us is to say, you know what, I will remain hidden. Can I encourage you? Get real with your, with your questions. It might be that one of the most profound things you can do, the next step that you can take is to write down, if I got asked this question, what would I say? If I got asked this question, what would be my follow-up question to help answer the question that they've asked me? What do people think? You know, as followers of Jesus, we are Christians. What do we do? Jesus didn't get distracted by 
a theological rabbit trail. He had a vision for this encounter with this woman. It was for her to meet him in his life-giving fullness and power. What's your vision for people in your world? Do you have one? What's your vision for people in your world who are far from Jesus? Do you have one? If, if I, I didn't. A couple of years ago, to me it was all about, well, what's the next little thing I can do? It was, you know, how do I get out of these conversations alive? Or how do I, you know, how do I push forward? How do I nudge? It just felt so random. And as we've journeyed a little as a church, I've realized now that my vision is this. I, I've got some people who are near and dear to me who don't know Jesus. And my vision is that one day I would love to be sitting down here with them beside me, loving Jesus together, learning about what it means to live as a follower of his, celebrating their faith in him through baptism, and being able to do life together as followers of Christ. Why do I have that vision? Because the Bible tells us that that's the way to live, that Jesus Christ came. We might have life and life to the full. And if I love them, there is nothing better that I would want for them to do that. And sometimes people will say, and I've had Christians say this and non-Christians say, well, that just sounds like you have an ulterior motive about your friendship. No, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, if I love them, why would I not tell them about life? If I love them, if I care for them, why would I not tell them about the reality of eternity? And that constrains me to do everything that I need to do so that I can help them also become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my vision. When I'm sitting here and there's an empty seat beside me, I'm often praying for those people. Saying, God, would you use me to bring them? And whatever step is needed, bring that to being. So we need a clear and compelling vision so that we introduce people to Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, what turned this woman's conversation was really a word of knowledge. Was this out-of-the-blue question that Jesus asked that seemed to have no relevance to the, to the flow of the conversation. And in that moment, she realized, actually, there, there is something more going on here than just a conversation around water. Have you ever had those moments in your conversations where the gifts of the Spirit or the promptings of the Spirit are proactively being used in your conversations with people who are far from God. You know what? If you haven't, pray about it. And pray that God would release that gifting into your life. It's, it's so fun. I had an um, opportunity a couple of months ago to uh, go spend Friday night at the local pub. And uh, the reason for this was I've ended up on an organizing committee for a, a um, neighborhood tournament that's later on in the year. So that was all fine. I was there, and there were four of us that were in there. And after the first round of drinks, I was designated the sober driver, which made a lot of sense later on in the evening. And uh, anyway, so we, we were chatting on. We were talking organization and stuff and a lot of banter going on and, and just sort of kept on going. And then after a while... Um, the conversation turned around that sort of came around my direction and um, they, they knew because we are talking about who we were we were all getting to know each other and they found out that I was a church pastor well of course that started the next 10 minutes of pastor jokes I'm like yeah I've heard that one and I've heard that one yeah I hadn't 
don't really want to hear that one again. Um, and so it, just, it, was, it was that sort of conversation, which was all, all good stuff. And then, then as we went through, and I, I'm doing this, and I'm thinking, man, I have no idea where to go with this conversation. But I'm not going to let it go because, you see, my clear and compelling vision is to introduce Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit with grace and truth. And I don't know what step is possible in this moment, but God, I'm here, and I'm praying, and I'm listening. And then it came around and there was this question, which for me is actually, it's, it's a bit of a gimme, right? You know sometimes in sport how, yeah, like if it's cricket and the bowler bowls a long hop, which basically means the ball sits there and pops up and it just says, hit me, right? I have a question like that, which is like a gimme. It's this, why did you become a pastor? And for me, it's like, oh, this is easy, right? Because I can talk about, you know, talk about you know, where the church was and, and I sense the call of God on my life. And, and as I've done that, we've watched God change people's lives and God's blessed it and enabled it to happen. And now, you know, I get the privilege of serving this church in the center of the city and out in Miramar and we've got two locations. I can do that in 30 seconds. I can do it in five minutes. It's a little story I've got, which I did. Well, I got to tell that story, which was cool. That spun the conversation around to then talking about God. And that got interesting because there were four people and there were four incredibly diverse views about what God is or it is or could be or maybe should be and why everything is its fault even though it doesn't exist. And there, you know, there, was, there was wonderful things going on in this conversation. And then, then one of the guys was there and he was talking about his view of God and all that sort of stuff. And as he did that, I, 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 I you had that sort of like, moment and I turned and I said man I said your version of God sounds more like a philosophical construct than a loving being and he went I've never that, that's making me think I went yes <laughs> of course and as we, we kept the conversation going, it's just opportunity to drop in a little bit. Now, you've got to remember that at this stage, they're between 60 to 70% sober and going south fast. So, so I had to use my time effectively. In the end, I dropped them home, and they probably to this day don't know who dropped them home. But I had to drop a one small step seed in there clear and compelling vision. Every moment, our life, our time is not our own. It's for the glory of Him. So what do we do with all this? There's one final thing before we close. I'm going to close in a couple of minutes. I'll get you out of here on time. And how do we introduce people to Christ? I've just given you an illustration, but we see it here in the story. Verse 39 of John chapter 4, it says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him, that's Jesus, because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we've heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. One small step, there's probably a number of them that, you've got already but here's another key one for today what's your story what is your story 
And your story is not necessarily, you know, well, I, I became a follower of Jesus when I was seven years old and I've grown up and lived a lovely life for the last, you know, 43 years or 45 years or however that works for me. How old am I? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, your story is, what's God doing in your life now? What are the things which are happening in your life now? As I say, my easy story for this woman, right, it was simple. She walked into the village and she said, I've met a guy and he's told me everything I know. You've got to come meet him. There's her story. Took about 25 words. What's yours? I've got one, as I told you. It's my, you know, my gimme one. It's, yeah, why are you a pastor? I tell you, that's so easy. I've actually got lazy because there's a whole bunch of other stories I've got too. I've got stories around, um, you know, how can you be so peaceful given your mum's dying with Alzheimer's? That's a story I've got. I've got stories around, you know, how, how come your marriage seems to be, you know, together? <laughs> you know how Sarah's changed her hair? Right? Have, you, have, you, have you noticed that? <laughs> this neighbour I was talking with um, a couple of weeks ago, we were chatting away and and he said, because um, we passed him about two days before that, we went for a walk, which we do, and, and we walked past him. And he sort of went, so two days ago, that woman you were, um, what was that? Um, was, oh, no, that was Sarah. She's, like, she's changed her hair. He goes, oh, I thought you were. Uh, your story around that someone's struggling with a marriage and they look at yours and it's going good (laughs) is it going good to start with why is it because God's at the center of it and if it is you've got a story there take a bit of time right remember vision you don't just jump off and do that final step by waking up one day and saying, man, I've got all these great stories to tell. This is going to take a bit of time and energy and work. What are the stories that you've got that can be used by the Lord in the most random of situations to sow a seed to help someone say, actually, that is attractive to me. I would like to know more. Maybe it's the simple stories, and here's a great place to start if, you, if you're trying to work out how does God intersect with your life, and if you can't find any places, well, start allowing God to intersect with your life. Start trusting of your marriage and your family and your finances and, and the way that you do life and your planning and your vision, and bring him into those things and watch how he tells the stories. But maybe it's as simple as this. What did you do on the weekend? Oh, I mowed the lawn and went for a walk, and uh, actually I, I, I went to church on Sunday. Story right there. What are you going to do? Yeah, what, what are you doing tonight? Yeah, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, whatever. What are you doing tonight? Oh, not much. What are you doing tonight? I, I've got this little group of people. We meet together from my church and we do that because we just want to, we want to study the Bible together. Why do you want to do that? Well, where you go. You see, the power of the story. Just a little story, that thing to help you grow so that others might actually begin to have their interest peaked what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So that's it. That's what we're on about. And in our One Small Step series, that's, the, that's part two. You're going to love next week. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. So um, we look forward to seeing you next week. 
But this week, as you go, think about story. And think about who are the people in your life and be praying proactively for them with a compelling vision of what it might look like for them one day to also give their life to Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? couple of things. I'm going to pray in a second, but before I do, some of you are here today and, and you're saying, you know what, I, I would love someone to pray with me. We have a prayer team which is here. And if you, right at the end of the service, that team is just going to be out the front. And if you would love to be, to be prayed with, it might be over something to do with the message. It might just be that there are things going on in your life and you just know that prayer is important. And so there is a team here. We would love to pray with you and love to pray for you. So there is an invitation. Don't go without it. And if you're visiting us, we'd love to see you down the back of the living room. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Lord, for the adventure you have us on as a church. Thank you, Father, for the way that you're calling us to do everything and anything we can to spread the knowledge, the understanding, the love of Jesus Christ into our city, into our nation, and into our world. And Father, I pray you'd use every single one of us. That Lord, none of us would have the disappointment of missing out on all that you have for us. So Lord, we, we go in your name, we go in your power, we go with your blessing. This we ask in Jesus' name. We agree together and said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. You have a great week.